All right. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors. And if you're here and you haven't been in church in a, in a while, or maybe you're not even sure if you believe in uh, any of this stuff called Christianity, I think you picked a really good day to be here because what we're going to do is kind of unique. We're going to walk through not just the story of God, uh, but we're going to walk through how God is at work in our church. So this is uh, Story Sunday. We're in between what we did. We, we wrapped up our Red Letter series last week looking at Jesus speaking to seven different churches in Revelation 2 and in chapter 3. And then next week, we kick off the Advent series. So today, what we get to do is just kind of celebrate what God has been doing uh, in 2018 and, and, and pause long enough to have a heart of gratitude. So if you don't know uh, anything or very little about this book, this book is, um, the Bible's the story of God. But it's not just the story of God uh, doing all of the work. What's really interesting is this is a story of God actually inviting you and I to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And this story starts in Genesis. So what I want to do is just give you a brief overview, and then we're going to land in 2 Corinthians 9. If you want to go ahead and, and head there, we'll land in a few minutes in 2 Corinthians 9. So uh, this story starts in, in, in Genesis and for me, growing up, the picture that I had in, he in my head of Genesis and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was almost like a Sandals Resort commercial, right? It's like they're Adam and Eve are holding hands and they're skipping through uh, the, the sand on the beach and they're sipping mimosas. And, and, and that's what I thought life looked like in the world before sin entered it. It was just an eternal perpetual vacation. Just unplug and relax, and then sin entered the world, and now we have work to do, and now we have uh, stuff that needs to get done. But if you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what you realize is that that could not be further from the reality. The reality is that God created humanity, Adam and Eve, and he put them inside of this garden to work it and keep it. And what he tells them is, he, he says, I want you to rule over the whole earth. So no big deal, just rule over the entire earth. And then I want you to fill it, fill it with my beauty and fill it with my presence and my blessing. So the idea was that they were to take the Garden of Eden and see that garden expand throughout the entire world so that the whole world would be filled with the beauty and the knowledge of God. That's, that was the story and how things were supposed to go. And theologians have called this the cultural mandate, what Adam and Eve were supposed to be doing and what you and I are supposed to be doing. They call it the cultural mandate. Uh, one author, Richard Pratt, he says this, he says, God ordained humanity, listen to this, to be the primary instrument by which his kingship will be realized on earth. All right, so humanity is what? They're, they're the primary instrument by which his kingship will be realized on the earth. Now just paint this picture in your head. He says, the great king has summoned each one of us into his throne room. Take this portion of my kingdom, he says. I'm making you my steward over your office your workbench, your kitchen stove. Put your heart into mastering this part of my world. Get it in order. Unearth its treasures. Do all that you can with it. Then everyone will see what a glorious king I am. So this was God's intention from day one in creating Adam and Eve and putting them in that garden so that the whole world would be able to say, wow, what a glorious great king this really is. But if you know the story, how it goes, uh, it doesn't 
it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen where they just continue to fill the earth with the beauty and the presence of God. In, in Genesis chapter 3, what we see happen is Adam and Eve, they rebel against God as king, and they establish themselves as the ultimate authority over their lives, and instead of looking to him to define what is right and wrong, they define what's right and wrong for themselves, they reject him, and when they do that, sin enters the world. And, and, and what happens as sin enters the world is there's dysfunction and there's chaos, not just with our own internal lives and in our relationship with the Lord, but there's internal chaos and dysfunction in human relationships and how we experience life on the earth. And so this is the, the way the story goes. Now, now fast forward a little bit and go to, in your head, Genesis chapter 12. So the story moves from Genesis to the people of Israel. And what happens in Genesis 12 is, is so key. God comes to this guy named Abraham who is living in a place called Babylon. Babylon basically stands against everything that God is about in the world. And so here's this pagan guy in the middle of Babylon. God comes to him and he calls him out of Babylon and he says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna be your God and you're gonna be my people. And, and you're gonna have these descendants more than the stars of the, the sky and more than the, the sand on the shore. You're going to have all these descendants, and it's through your descendants that I'm going to bless the whole world. So what he's doing is picking back up on this original plan. It's almost like a, a, a do-over. It's like I, I wanted Adam and Eve to do this, and, and they failed. So now I'm starting with Abraham, and I want you to go into the world, and, and I'm going to bless the whole world through your offspring. And what we see happening is the people of Israel years later come about and God gives them these unique rules and this identity as his chosen people in the earth. And what he tells them is, is I want you to live differently than these other nations so that as people look at you, they will not just see you living differently, but they'll see me in my glory. And so he gives them the law and all these uh, rules about their sex ethic and all these, all these rules surrounding money and human relationships and social justice and how, th how they should treat widows and orphans and immigrants and on and on and on, all of these laws about how to live in the earth so that way they could be a blessing to the other nations. But if you know the story, what happens is instead of them doing that, they actually do exactly what Adam and Eve do. They fail as well. And instead of them bringing the blessing and presence of God into the world, what the people of Israel do is they become just like the pagan nations that are surrounding them. And so instead of offering something beautiful to the world as this countercultural community that loves God and loves people and is pushing back the darkness in the world, the darkness in the world starts to push back on them. And it starts to overtake them. And, and soon, before long, the people of Israel are just as lost as everybody else. And then if you fast forward in the story, so Genesis, the people of Israel, now, now go to Jesus. There's this 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Th these 400 years where people are wondering, what has God up to and has he forgotten about us? And then the silence is broken as God enters human history, not just as God, but he remains God and takes on our humanity. This is what we're going to look at all in the month of December in our Advent series. Jesus becomes a human being, and, and, and God in the flesh, he lives this life, and unlike Adam and Eve, and unlike the people of Israel, what he begins to do is he begins to bring the presence and the blessing of God to the world like nobody else had. Instead of failing like they had done, he stayed faithful and obedient to his father. And everywhere where he finds brokenness and darkness that needs to be pushed back, he does just that. So he goes up to people that are blind and he heals them and they can see. 
He goes up to people that are dead and he raises the dead. He goes up to people that are marginalized in society and and people that are just lost in their own sin and he loves them and he invites them to himself and and he forgives them. And And he goes about his earthly life and ministry and what we see happening is it's almost like God's original plan in the garden is finally being fulfilled. Adam and Eve didn't do it and, and, and the people of Israel couldn't do it, but here is Jesus who is doing this work. He's, he's not just living this beautiful life, but the story culminates when he goes to the cross. And on the cross, this perfect, obedient Jesus, he absorbs the full weight of our sin. He takes our place on the cross and then the wrath of God crushes Jesus in our place and here is Jesus. He's he's dying in our place and then he rises again from the dead three days later and here's what's so crazy about this. He doesn't just forgive you and I of the sin that we've done when we come to him with faith but what he also does is he invites us into the story that he's been telling all along where he's saying, I want you to come and, and work with me. I want you to come and, and I'm, I'm wanting to fill the earth. I want you to rule over it and bring my presence and my blessing. And what he does with the church is he forgives us and he brings us in a part of the same story. So fast forward to the church. And when you get to the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament, you, you start reading about the, the church and Jesus has ascended into heaven. But the same things that he was doing on earth, the church is now doing. So just a couple of excerpts from Acts that stand out. Acts 2 verse 42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. That doesn't mean that they were like, you know, shopping at the same places and ate the same type of food and cheered for the same sports teams. They, they all had everything in common, meaning that the most important foundational aspect of their life had, na- had now become Jesus and everything was wrapping around him. So they had all things in common. And, and look at what happened as a result of this. They're selling their possessions and belongings, dis- distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So now what we see is this church actually uh, functioning in such a way where they step into the world and they're bringing the presence and the blessing of God to people in their world. Here's another one in Acts 4 that is just so good. In verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And listen to this. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Can you imagine? The stuff that you own, you actually are treating it as if you didn't own. But what they were doing is they had everything in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. I love this line in verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. Can you imagine the church living in light of the grace of Jesus in such a way that we could actually say, yeah, there's not a needy person among us. But as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And so what we see happening is this church functioning in the same way that God really intended uh, for Adam and Eve and humanity to function in Genesis chapter 1. They're living and filling the earth with the beauty of God. They're finding darkness and they're putting their hand on it and they're pushing back the darkness in the world. 
uh, th- there are really five traits of the early church that you could distill down and say that, wh- wh- what were they known for? What was their reputation in the world at the time? Well, th- there are really five of them that I want to give you, and, and I'll do this real briefly, and then I'm going to bring some people up, and we're going to share some stories. The-, the first thing that the early church was known for was their radical generosity to the poor. They're just radically generous. I mean, there's letters from, from pagan emperors where they're almost complaining about the generosity of Christians because they're saying, man, they don't just care for their own poor, but they're even caring for our poor too. So the early church was just so in awe of the grace of Jesus and him giving his life and him giving everything for us that they treated their money with open hands. They were radically generous uh, with the poor. It's one of the reasons why the early church was growing so rapidly. The second thing that they were known for was their radical diversity. Their radical diversity. And this was all types of diversity, ethnic diversity, uh, gender diversity. There are a lot of uh, ways that women weren't valued in the first century. And Christianity came along and elevated women in so many different ways. And so the early church was filled with uh, kind of equal numbers of men and women, which was a unique thing for various other religions of the day, various pagan religions of the day. Uh, not only that, but you had uh, Jewish people and Greeks and Romans and barbarians and Scythians. You had all these different people because Jesus is coming for every one of us. And what he's doing is he's inviting all people, regardless of who you are or what your story is, he's inviting all of us to come and be a part. So the early church was known for their radical diversity. Uh, the third thing where they were known for was their radically conservative sex ethic. Tim, Ke- uh, Tim Keller says this. He says the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. So what you see happening in the early church is not just like financial promiscuity, but also this, this very conservative sex ethic. And then the fourth thing that the early church was known for was that they were radically pro-life. And so they just had this reputation in the city for being pro-life. Now, abortion in that culture was different than it is in ours. Most of the time, it didn't happen in the womb. It was actually women would give birth. And oftentimes, if men didn't want the baby or if the, if the women didn't, they would take the baby and throw it, physically, literally throw it on a trash heap. And the early church was known, they, there, there was stories about this, they had a reputation of if they walked by a trash heap and they saw a baby on it, Christians were just known to take the baby home and adopt it as their own. That was the reputation that they had in the city. And then the fifth thing that they were known for, they were radically nonviolent, or uh, they, they had just incredible enemy love, incredible enemy love. So people that were killing them, people that were persecuting them, burning their homes, instead of responding with aggression, they were actually responding with, with mercy and with grace. So this is what the early church was known for. And Tim Keller said something that I thought was really interesting on this. He said the first two of these sound kind of like what we would classify as more democratic, politically speaking, where there's love for the poor and care for the poor and, uh, and a high view of diversity. The, the next two sound more like Republican, uh, where you have conservative sex ethic and radically pro-life. And then he made the comment, this last one, this uh, non-aggression, enemy love, sounds like no one. (laughs) Nobody does this because we just live in a culture of uh, freaking out on anybody that disagrees with us and we live in a really aggressive 
time. So he, here's why I say all of that, because the early church is this really weird, hard-to-pin-down group of people that are living in this countercultural way where they're loving God, they're loving each other, and they're pushing back the darkness in the world, and, and that was the reputation that they started to have as followers of Jesus. So this story, what I love about it, is in Acts, what God is doing through his people, it's not like the Bible has now closed and all of those stories have ceased and now God isn't doing anything and we're just kind of hanging out until Jesus returns. But the story continues and it continues through real people with real stories and instead of God waving this magical spiritual wand and just kind of like ba-ba-bing and then accomplishing all of his purposes in the world, what he's done is he's called us to himself, he's forgiven us of our sins, and he's invited us to do life in a new way with him where we actually get to push back the darkness in our world. So what I want to do is just bring up some friends and have them share some stories of God's grace. One of the things that we can be so bad about is just slowing down long enough to press pause and look back on our year and just thank Jesus for all that he has done and all that he is doing. So with that in mind, what I want to do is I want to invite up my friends Riley and Alex, Riley Robertson and Alex Steele. And while they're making their way up here, uh, both Riley and Alex lead one of our Norman community groups. And there's just some incredible things that Jesus is doing in Norman. So I wanted them to come up and just share kind of what, what God has been up to throughout 2018. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank you guys so much. Can we celebrate what God's doing there? One of the things that we pray for is, is for people that are far from God, not just to encounter his love and mercy on a Sunday, but to encounter his love and mercy throughout the week in community. And that's happened in Norman several times, so it's been really fun. And now we're trying to pray about what, is, what does Jesus have for us in Norman, and, and do we need to be planting a church there? What does it look like to plant a frontline congregation there maybe one day? So there's just so many exciting things happening there. Um, man, could I get Kim and Kurt Feichner to come on up? And while they're coming up, I want to tell you just a bit about them. Uh, they also lead one of our community groups and have just been so faithful, not just to uh, the church. I mean, these people do so much uh, for us as a church, but the way, that they're, uh, the way that in their maturity they're following Jesus and inviting other people to do that, it's almost like we're watching depth being spread pretty rapidly with the group, and it's been really, really fun. So tell us what Jesus has been doing through, through the group and through you guys.
That's awesome. Thank you guys so much. That's so good. One of the things, one of the things that I love about their group is just um, our spirit-filled, distinctive, wanting uh, more of the Holy Spirit and to follow Him wherever He wants to take us. Uh, they're just doing a great job of leading the way and a lot of that. So love you guys like crazy. Uh, Michael and Stacy Elizondo, come on up. Uh, actually, it's just Michael. So come on up, Michael. So Michael was a community group leader. Him and Stacy were leading one of our community groups and then transitioned, and now he leads a hub. And if you don't know what a hub is, it's three to five community groups, or in his case, it's eight community groups. It's the largest hub in our church. So uh, thanks so much for your work, man. Tell us what God is up to in the hub. People are constantly, you know, sending out needs. Hey, we need this. You know, we need that. We need somebody to do this for us. Who has a truck available? Who has someone that can help do this or that? And it's been pretty incredible. There's been this mm. really neat cross-pollination mm. on between groups. And, mm -hmm. and it's not just, hey, you know, we don't have a truck in our group, but we can get one from this group uh, or something like that. In particular, what's been really neat mm. is one of our families, uh, they have been hyped uh, in foster care. And through that, we've gotten to know another family uh, as part of that foster uh, care that um, now they're tied in with some single moms who mm -hmm. have dealt through some different things. Their 
children have been taken away into the foster system and have now been brought back because we keep it back on our feet. Um, and as part of that, um, this family in our community, in our hub, has gotten all our community groups in our, mm. in our hub to help provide uh, some Thanksgiving meals um, and some Christmas gifts and things like that for, the, for these families. And, mm. and it's been a really, really sweet deal just to see. I mean, these families, they just, one of the moms just, she, she said all she wants for herself is that her kids have a really wonderful Christmas, and uh, and it's just such a humbling thing to think that man, that's all somebody wants mm-hmm. uh, for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big thing where we want so much other things, mm-hmm. and uh, and then to see our group uh, jump in on that, and hey, I've got this group, we've got that group. Hey, let's jump in and do this. It's been super special. That's so, awesome, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Heck yeah, let's celebrate that. Um, Last one is Ruben Ozuna. Ruben, go ahead and come on up. Uh, Ruben has gone through our eldership process, and, and a lot of you guys know Ruben, just been serving like crazy. And a lot of you also know the story that he's about to share, but I feel like it's just too good to not share. <laughs> like, we got to share this. So tell us what God did in your body. good it's awesome man that's so good man thanks for sharing love it just one more story I want to share uh, this was emailed in this is a, a family in the church uh, she said my husband and I along with our three children have served as a foster family for the past four years 
we've had 12 placements and one adoption. So just wrap your head around that for a minute. 12 placements, they've adopted uh, one out of that. We've taken children one day to 17 years old. We have so many stories to tell, but the one that has been the most shocking to us is our story with little H and her family. Uh, H came to us approximately three years ago as a toddler, and the entire family fell immediately in love with her. We were told her parents had been using hard drugs long-term, and reunification didn't look promising. Soon, H's mom had a second child, and little J came to live with us as well. The case looked bleak, and it was heartbreaking to hear. Our social worker recommended that we keep our distance. They didn't believe that it was safe for us to reach out to the bio parents. For months, we acted in fear and hid ourselves away, but the Lord called us to trust him and try. We finally reached out. We chose to bridge, uh, we, we chose to bridge with H's parents no matter how hopeless it appeared. Jesus showed us that nothing is impossible, nothing is hopeless. The first time we met, I realized that Jess was not the enemy and she was not to be feared. We sat across the picnic table from each other as moms who loved our children. Her humility was breathtaking as she thanked me for caring for her little ones. I silently asked the Lord to forgive me for judging her child so harshly, uh, his child so harshly rather, and for presuming to know his plan. Jesus grabbed a hold of H and J's parents. Listen to this. He saved them. He healed them and he showed us how to love each other. After months of hard work, Jess and Billy were truly getting better and filled with joy for the Lord. In the very beginning, I had entertained the thought of little H staying with us forever. We believed in and desired reunification of biological families, but this case had looked hopeless initially. God had a plan that was better than I could have dreamed. I've never been so grateful to not get my own way. H and J went home finally, but that wasn't the end of our story. Jess has become one of my dearest friends. Her faith amazes me and her grace is contagious. We spent the last two years choosing to not be defined by our initial circumstances, but instead to turn our eyes to Jesus as sisters. She's an incredible mother and their father Billy is a wonderful dad. Their family moved into our neighborhood so that we could see each other regularly. Our big strange blessed family spends holidays together, we celebrate one another's successes, and we mourn one another's losses. This story isn't about what any of us did right, but instead a story of how God uses sinful and broken people like us to display his love and forgiveness. I'm so thankful that Jesus allowed us to witness this miracle. And here's why I say all that. Yeah, you can celebrate. I, I love the last line of that. Like, the, the, none of these stories are about like, hey, look at how great Frontline is. That's not the point. Uh, none of these stories are, hey, look how great of a job our community groups are doing. That is not the point. The point is that Jesus is still doing the same stuff that he did in the book of Acts, and he's doing it through people like us, people that don't have it figured out, people that have probably more questions than we have answers, people that are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus faithfully, and yet he is the one at work. He is doing stuff. He is pushing back darkness in our city. So I just want to slow down and pause and just say thank you, Jesus, for what you've been doing in the life of our church and our hearts. And some highlights for me this year, 23 baptisms. 23 baptisms. People that were in darkness are, and are now in the light, right? That's amazing. Um, we've seen community groups multiplied. Uh, we've seen one of the things that's been really fun over 2018 is watching you guys grow in our spirit-filled distinctive. Uh, so just praying for people that are sick to be healed. And we, we, we totally know that Jesus doesn't always say yes to that prayer in the way that we want him to. Um, but I can say that I've actually seen in the last 12 to 15 months, I've seen more 
physical healings, both big and smaller ones, uh, small and bigger ones. I've seen more physical healings in the last 12 to 15 months than I've seen in my entire life. It's just been amazing to see God at work. There's a desire for God to speak, not just through his word, yes, through his word, but also um, through what the Bible calls prophetic words. Uh, There's been new gifts that have been given and stirred up. It's just been fun to watch. It's been fun to be a part of that. And then probably my favorite thing of 2018 is watching you guys as a church grow in just pure and simple devotion to Jesus. Or we say, we want to truly repent of sin, We want to just get back to the basics and be people that are just simply devoted to Jesus and asking him to revive parts of our heart. It's been so fun for me as one of your pastors to see. Um, And and 2018 has been hard. In fact, 2018 might have been one of the hardest years in pastoral ministry that I've ever had. And we've seen uh, one of our own pastors go through open heart surgery. I've been on the phone with some of you as you've grieved the loss of your, your family members or loved ones. Uh, we've, we've wept together over various crises. Uh, I know that some of you, your husband has walked out on you and abandoned the family. I mean, there, there's been some things happen in 2018 that have been super, super painful. And yet, Jesus has been present with us, and he's been good to us, and he's been with us, and he knows. And just like he did with the churches in Revelation, he's speaking to us, and he's inviting us to follow wherever he wants us to go. So here's how I want to end. I'm going to end with reading this passage out of 2 Corinthians 9. Remember that passage I said to turn to like 50 minutes ago? Yeah, we're going to look at that real quick. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Here's what it says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he, God, has distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now look at this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It's what we just celebrated. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And the context of this passage is a church uh, in Corinth that is, uh, Paul is trying to get to help another church in Jerusalem that is experiencing some hard times. And here's what I want you to see. God could have just waved the magic spiritual wand, bada bing, and fixed all the problems in Jerusalem. But instead, what he's doing is he's telling a story and he's inviting you and I with our little S stories to be a part of what he is doing in the world. And instead of God just fixing it, he chose to fix and address this issue with his people, with his church. And there are issues in our city. uh, They're they're different than what the early church was facing, but there are issues in our city. There are problems in our city. There are things in our city. And Jesus could just wave the magic spiritual wand and fix it. But what he's done is he's invited you and I to use our time and 
and our talent and our treasure and just to spend all that he's given us to to give it all away so that we can see Jesus continue to do what he's doing. So I just want to call you, if you are a part of this church, I just want to call you, like, will you step into, as we wrap up 2018 and go into 2019, uh, assessing your time and your talent and your treasure, and just like you would a sponge, just saying, Jesus, would you ring me out, and all that I have, it's from you, it's a gift from you, and I want to use all that I have in whatever ways you want me to use it. That's my call, that's my, my big ask for you, is that we'll go into this next year and so that we can hear more stories, stories that currently don't exist, but by the end of next year, we'll be able to celebrate more of what Jesus is doing.